have your Bibles, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, we're going to pick up today in verse 12. So welcome to week 11 of a series that has us walking through this deep, difficult, yet um, absolutely amazing book, the book of Romans. And I want to thank Pastor Jordan for the way he faithfully walked us through last week, the first part of Romans 5, and the access that has been granted to us by faith in Christ. And this morning we come to what we can really call a matter of life and death. In fact, that's what we're calling this message today, life and death. And let me just set it up kind of this way. So think of the accomplishments that one person is able to make in the world that we live. So think of someone like Thomas Edison, who in his lifetime acquired 1,093 patents. So what have you done with your life? So 193 patents. He um, innovated the first record player, the incandescent light bulb, an early version of the motion picture camera, one person affecting a whole lot of people. Then think about Albert Einstein, who developed quantum physics and the theory of relativity. Think about Abraham Lincoln, who by his Emancipation Proclamation was able to free 3.5 million slaves and give them freedom. Think about Queen Esther, who was the right woman at the right place at the right time, who was able to save the Jewish race in Persia from a coming genocide. Think about Moses, who went up to the Mount of Sinai by himself before God to receive the Ten Commandments that would set apart God's people among the whole world. All of these individuals accomplished amazing things, just individuals. These names we're familiar with, but there's a name you're probably not familiar with, the name Dashrash Manji. Chances are he did not come up in conversation this week. Maybe he will this coming up week, but here's his story. He was a man who lived in the hills of India, living a quiet life, tending his goats and loving his wife. Probably not in that order, but one day his wife accidentally slid down the slope um, and uh, injured herself severely, where she had to be taken to the hospital. The nearest hospital for them was 45 miles away, and they had no car. This event turned into a catastrophic and a deadly event. Not long after, Dashrash Manji sold his goats, bought a hammer and a chisel, and get this, for the next 22 years, he dug a road through a mountain, that was 30 feet high, 25 feet wide, and 360 feet long to connect his village to the nearby hospital so that what happened to his wife wouldn't happen to anyone else. He made the, the drive from the hospital to, from 45 miles to 4 miles. This is what one guy did for 22 years. It's pretty impressive, right? pretty amazing to think about. Someone has said the individual activity of one person with a backbone will do more than 1,000 people with a mere wishbone. So one person with a backbone will do more than 1,000 people with a wishbone. One person we know really can change the world. And, and just think about this. One person can affect great good, yet at the same time, one person can affect great evil. We know Adolf Hitler and the six million plus Jews that were killed 
Or the Cambodian leader in the 70s, Pol Pot, 2 million deaths because of him. Starvation, disease, execution. So one person can do amazing good in the world, and one person can do terrible harm. One person can invent things to help people, and another person can destroy what's been invented. One person can light a match and burn things down. Another person can give their lives to putting out the fire. And this is the thrust of the passage that we're about to read together this morning. In this passage, the Apostle Paul lays one man and what he did against another man and what he did. He lays before us Adam and Jesus. And they're not just historical figures, they are representative figures. Just to put it um, in hopefully words we understand, the great commentator theologian Douglas Moo put it this way. All people stand in relationship to one of two men whose actions determine the eternal destiny of all who belong to them. Either one belongs to Adam and is under the sentence of death because of Adam's sin, or one belongs to Christ and is assured of eternal life because of Christ's obedience. The actions of Adam and Christ then are similar in having epic-making significance, but they are not equal in power, for Christ's act is completely able to overcome the effects of Adam's. So Paul wants us to see that people everywhere stand behind one of two figures. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. If you are in Adam, you will face bondage, you will face evil, and you are sentenced to death. If you are in Christ, you will have freedom and you have righteousness and life. And the section that we're about to read, let me just kind of break it down today, has been called one of the most difficult sections that Paul ever wrote. So I'm saying that to say it's time for us to put on our big boy and big girl theological pants and let me just say this, oftentimes when we come to a difficult passage, it's almost like pastors have to stand up and apologize. That we have to say, hey guys, sorry we're coming to a difficult passage today, but did not Jesus tell us to love the Lord our God with all of our minds? I mean, we're to love God with all of our minds, meaning that difficult things, difficult passages, hard passages shouldn't be things that we stay away from in the church. Should be things that we press into in the church. Why? Because we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a difficult text, but it's also a relevant text, and it's an encouraging text because our Savior wins. This is the point. He wins. So this text today is literally a matter of life and death. If you are in Adam today, it's a matter of death. If you were in Christ today, it's a matter of life, but you can have life. So let's dive in together today. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read verses 12 through 21 and finish this chapter out today. And it says this, therefore, and remember, when therefore is in Scripture, we always say, what is the word therefore? Therefore. Taking us back to what Pastor Jordan covered last week and what Paul has covered up until this point. But therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam 
who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, today as we come to this, your word, and the deepness, Lord, of it, the difficulty of it, Lord, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. Help us not to miss this message of life and death. Lord, I pray for any who are here or listening online that don't know you, that today would be a day of life. Today would be a day of salvation. Today would be a day of freedom. Today would be a day that they find themselves in Christ. Just have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So here's what we know from what we just read, what we think about what Paul is pressing before us and kind of where we are in the world today and the culture that we live in. We know this, that sin has fallen on hard times. And I don't mean that we don't sin anymore. I don't mean that we don't suffer the effects of sin. I don't mean that sin isn't affecting us every day. What I mean is that the society in which we live no longer stomachs certain attitudes or actions being called sin anymore. In the modern day culture that we live in, sin sounds archaic, sin sounds pessimistic, sin sounds grimly medieval. When we think of sin, we often think of a um, a red-faced preacher wagging his finger, preaching hellfire and brimstone and putting people in a church in their place. And of course, in our culture, no one wants to be associated with that. Yet when we come to Romans 5, sin is portrayed as the villain, death is portrayed as the villain's weapon, and people are seen as the victim. And so sin is the sum of all evil, it's personal, impersonal, that found its way into this world, bringing with it death. So sin immediately became a deadly pathogen, it immediately became potent and lethal, producing death. But not just producing one kind of death. Sin came into the world and produced three kinds of death. So through sin, we have spiritual death by which we are separated from God in relationship. We have physical death that because of sin, we are going to die. We are all going to close our eyes in death. And then because of sin, we have eternal death where those who do not trust Christ will be eternally separated from God forever and 
ever. So this passage, and in this passage, humanity is under sin, and it's personified in Adam, and the victory over sin is personified in Jesus. I love the words of D.A. Carson, who says this, there can be no agreement as to what salvation is unless there is agreement as to that from which salvation rescues us. It is impossible to gain a deep grasp of the cross, of what the cross achieves, excuse me, without plunging into a deep grasp of what sin is. Paul is basically saying here that if you don't understand what it means to be a part of the race of Adam, you don't understand how bad things are. You don't understand your present situation. This roller coaster that we are all on, brothers and sisters, ends in death. And to say that we're not properly strapped in is an understatement. We are in this roller coaster of sin and death. I told in the first service about 15 years ago, our family went to SeaWorld and my sister convinced my mother to get on a roller coaster. And she said, mom, I promise you it will not go, um, it will not go in loops. It does not go upside down. It'll be fine. So myself and Robert are in front and Kelly and my mom are right behind us. And about the fourth loop that we did, I said to Robert, mom's dead. I know she's dead. I, I, I know she, she's not going to make this. And I'm pretty sure mom still hasn't forgiven Kelly uh, for, for getting her on that. But the picture is this. Listen, life is like a roller coaster trying to absolutely dislocate us violently from our lives. Forces that write death over us the moment, not just that we're born, the moment that we're conceived. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. This is a picture of what we are all a part of as part of the human race. So in this passage, we see the hideousness of sin, and then we see the hidden plan of God to save and to redeem. So I want to place before us this morning three truths. And these are kind of deep truths, but they're also very simple truths that we can see and that we can understand in the world that we live in. First is this, all humans are in Adam. All humans are in Adam. Verse 12 again says this, and you can see on the screen, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So Adam was quick to say, Lord, God, that woman you gave me. But when we get to Paul, Paul says, one man. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 18 says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So Adam is the means by which the human race entered the world. Adam is also the means by which sin entered the world. So this is the point by which we understand is Adam blew it for everybody. So just understand it that way. Adam blew it for all of us. The progression is clear from Adam to sin to death. It's a force that is universal. None can escape. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about the, the three imputations of Scripture, the three imputations by which God places one thing upon another. The first imputation of Scripture is where God placed the sin of Adam upon all of humanity. So God imputes Adam's sin upon all of us. The second is that on the cross... God imputes all the sin of the world upon Jesus. So all our sin upon Christ, imputed upon him. The third is all the righteousness of Christ is imputed upon those who believe in Christ. But when we think about this first imputation, God imputes the sin of Adam upon all of us. What I'm not saying is that 
we're born into sin because of Adam. Now, that's true. We all are. All of us are born into sin. You don't have to teach a child how, how to sin. It's a natural thing. But the point that I'm trying to make today and the point that kind of becomes very, very clear is that God regards Adam's choice to be our choice. So God declares all of us guilty because of Adam. It's a, it's a part of theology called the doctrine of original sin or the doctrine of imputed sin. Now, I can hear the, the wheels in some of your head turning right now, and um, you're saying you're becoming your inner toddler because here's what you're saying. That's not fair. That doesn't sound very fair. How is that fair? I never met Adam. I don't know Adam from Adam. So how is that fair for me? Or you're saying, how am I held responsible for something that he did? I wasn't even there when he ate the fruit. I don't even like fruit. I don't even like vegetables. How in the world am I being held responsible for something that he did? And here's what we have to understand. In putting Adam's sin upon us, God is saying that he knows that what Adam chose is the same exact thing that you and I would have chosen had we been there. God knows, God knows all. He is infinitely just. He knew that given the same temptation, we would have done the same thing. Think about this. We can't even pass a red hot now sign at Krispy Kreme without giving in to temptation. We can't keep a package of Oreos or a bag of potato chips in our pantry without feeling the temptation and eventually giving in. Yet, it's not fair that I'm being punished for his sin. We would have done no better. Do you think if you'd have been offered a fruit that would bring you God's power and knowledge that you would say no when you can't even turn down a Krispy Kreme donut? I mean, it's a picture of no. We would have absolutely given in. G.K. Chesterton famously said, original sin is the only Christian doctrine that is empirically verifiable. Meaning we look at original sin and we can see it all over the world. We can see sin in, in everything. All people sin. All people imitate sin. All people love sin, are given over to sin. And the effects of Adam's choices, as we read in verse 12, were not insignificant because of Adam's choice, death entered the world, but not just death, things that lead to death entered the world with it. Every disease, every natural disaster, every painful struggle with cancer, every child born with a birth defect, every divorce, every rape, every war, every case of abuse, even hell itself goes back to this choice. Goes back to the choice of Adam. And we weren't even there for it. And did you know that right now there are more than 40 wars, active wars on planet Earth? More than 40 active wars on planet Earth, and they are on the rise. As Pastor Jordan said last week, there's also a rise in depression, anxiety, and suicide. And that's even among our teenagers. We're seeing that among our teenagers more than ever. And now here, here becomes the question, well, whose fault is it? And so here's what we do. We back up and go, well, it's the Democrats' fault. Or no, 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 it's, it's the Republicans' fault. Or no, no, it's the Independents' fault because they don't know what side they're on. So it must be their fault. Or then we go, no, 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 it's Russia's fault. Or no, no, it's China's fault. Everything's on them. But the Bible makes it very clear. It was Adam's fault. It was Adam's fault. Adam opened a door. And when Adam opened a door, sin flooded in. 
And sin made all of its way, it made its way to your life and to my life. Think of it like this. The Chinese built the Great Wall of China. It took over 2,000 years. They finished it in 1878. But they built it for the specific purpose of keeping out the Mongol hordes to the north. And the wall was very effective. In fact, it was never breached. It was never successfully broken into. However, invaders did manage to get through the wall at least three different occasions. Now, how might you ask? And here is the how. The gatekeeper was bribed. The gatekeeper was bribed. It only takes one act of betrayal. It only takes one deed of treachery to introduce Horrible consequences to a people or to a nation. Adam, in many ways, was the gatekeeper of humanity, and he took the bribe. And when he took the bribe, the door was open, the gate was open, and in came evil and sin and death and disease and disorder and enmity and hatred and strife and estrangement and violence, all of those things that we experience on a daily basis, all the things that we have experienced in our life came rushing in. Again, we have all felt all of those things because we are in Adam. So all humans are in Adam. But secondly, here's the good news. All believers are in Christ. All believers are in Christ. So here's the deal. If an historical Adam does not represent mankind's sinfulness, then an historical Jesus could not represent mankind in righteousness. You have to have one to have the other. And listen to what Paul writes in verses 15 through 17. You can see it on the screen. He says, The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. The free gift brought justification, means to be declared righteous, not guilty, before God. If, Paul writes, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who, don't miss this word, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So now we come to Jesus. And we're not coming to the fairy godmother Jesus who gives us all the things that we want. We're not coming to political activist Jesus who his whole purpose was to make us a Democrat or a Republican. We're not coming to um, the, the Jesus, the life coach Jesus who says you're good enough and smart enough and godly people like you. We're not coming to that Jesus. We're coming to the second Adam who is what Paul called him, the one who undid what the first Adam did. What we know is in the beginning of the human race, Adam fell from a great height, from sinless glory, being made in the very image of God. Adam rebelled against God, and he fell, and he brought sin and death and judgment into the universe. But Jesus left the heights of heaven. He descended to earth, became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death, and on the third day he conquered the enemy we could never conquer so that we have an opportunity brothers and sisters to rise again and to have life forevermore. in a battle in the garden the world was cursed yet in in a battle that raged in gethsemane and was finished outside the wall of jerusalem the redeemed of all time are blessed the picture is this in adam we were all made enemies of god in Christ, we are all made sons and daughters of God. Think about the difference between the two. 
I love the words of Kent Hughes that said, there is a greater distance between Christ and Adam than there is between a grasshopper and the highest archangel. There's a greatest difference between Christ and Adam than between a grasshopper and the highest archangel. But please hear this, brothers and sisters, until we are united by faith in Christ, all that is true of Adam is true of us. All the things but that affect Adam will affect us, and all the things that awaited Adam will await us. But once we are united to Christ, whatever is true of Christ becomes true of us. I love John Stott, and John Stott put it this way. So then whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam or the new humanity initiated by Christ. Listen, I, I have taken this hammer and beat this nail, and it's almost in, but there's a little sticking out, so I'm going to just keep going for a second, just showing you the difference between Adam and Christ. Adam came from the earth, but the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven. Adam was tested in the garden, surrounded by beauty and love. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and eventually went to the cross, and he was surrounded not by beauty and love, but by ugliness and anger and hatred adam was a thief and was cast out of paradise yet jesus on the cross looked to the thief and said today you will be with me in paradise the old testament according to genesis chapter 5 is the book of the generation of adam and according to malachi 4 it ends with a curse the new testament according to matthew 1 1 is the generation the book of the generation of jesus christ and it ends in revelation 22 hear this with no more curse. This is the beauty of what our Savior has done. This is the beauty of the salvation that he has brought into our lives. It can be yours and it can be mine. But don't miss the words there that we just read where Paul says to those who receive the abundance of the grace and the free gift. It's not just about believing. Even in John 1, 12, we are told that we have to believe and receive. We have to believe who Jesus is, but we have to receive what he's done. We have to receive him for who he is, receive him for what he has done for us and receive it into ourselves. But all who believe we're no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ. So all humans are in Adam. All believers are in Christ, which leads us to the last truth. And you're going to want to stay awake until this one is over. Number three, all are in need of grace. All are in need of grace. There is a phrase that occurs five times in Romans chapter 5. It's a two-word phrase, much more. Much more. And what it means is this. We have gained much more from Jesus than we lost in Adam. We've gained much more in Jesus than we lost in Adam. Look at verses 20 and 21 again on the screen. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I'm going to stop there until the rest of you say amen. amen. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whatever Adam had done is matched by how much more Jesus did. Yeah, let me say this. Only if Adam represents you in the garden can Jesus represent you at the cross. Let me say it again. Only if Adam represents you in the garden can Jesus represent you at the cross. And what does that mean? It means this. 
unless you and I, brothers, understand and sisters understand that we are sinners, that we are sinners before a holy God. We have sinned against him. We have de-godded God, and we have godded ourselves. Until we understand that we have done that, and we understand that we can't save ourselves, we will never see our need for Jesus in the cross. But when we see ourselves and we know there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves and we have done it to ourselves. And think, here's the deal. We are so quick to say how it's not fair that Adam's sin would be put upon us. That one sin would bring all of this. But here's what we're failing to realize. Here's what we're failing to acknowledge. Brothers and sisters, by one sin, all of this came into the world. Yet, you and I in this room are guilty of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sins. And yet we go, well, how is that fair? I just don't see it. I just don't get it. We have to understand and we have to acknowledge our own sinfulness. If Adam stood for you in the garden, Christ can hang for you on the cross. If you haven't received the, the gift of Jesus Christ, you are still in Adam. But you are able to receive the gift of Christ. At the cross, we see the worst that sin can do as humanity hung Christ on the cross, but also at the cross, we see that the most that sin can do can't affect God's salvation for us. At the cross, don't miss this, brothers and sisters, grace overwhelms sin. At the cross, life triumphs over death. The first Adam doesn't get the last word for humanity. Jesus gets the last word for humanity. Without him, there is no hope. With him, there is eternal hope. Charles Spurgeon called Romans 5, or preached a message on Romans 5.20. He called it this, grace abounding over abounding sin. So sin is abounding, but grace abounds all the more. And he likened this, think of it this way. Think of, think of it like a dam that's built to keep out and Stop the flow of a great river. The tallest dam in the world is a dam in China. It is 1,001 feet high. Imagine the water that it would take to get over that. I mean, that's just a crazy thing to think about. Water would have no chance there. But the point of this passage is this. Sometimes it feels like, and it's a reality in, in our lives, is that sin builds a dam. And sin builds a dam around our lives and it makes us feel like there's no hope for us. That nothing can get to where we are. And I want you to hear this morning. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what you've experienced. But I know this. There are some of you in this moment that are thinking, but Micah, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I am. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've said. You don't know how many times I've said it. you would say, there's a dam around me, and I can't even see, go so high, I can't even see the top of it. How can anything ever get in? And I want you to hear this morning, brothers and sisters, that God's grace is able to overflow your sin. God's grace is able to overflow where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Where sin overflowed, brothers and sisters, grace flooded in. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote these words, and I want you to think about this. He says, God does not say of a monstrous sinner, oh, that man is so bad that I must scrape the bottom of the barrel of grace for him. 
nor does he say of another, there is an average man doing average things in an average way, so I need only an average amount of grace to deal with him. He does not say to a third man, there is a highly moral man, well thought of by all of his fellows, just a scoop of grace will meet his need. And he says this, the, the degree of sinfulness does not enter into God's dealing with men. The question of sin was settled forever when the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross at Calvary. Now, because of that righteous act, God can reach any man in any degree of sin, and he can save them all. Where sin overflowed, grace flooded where sin abounds, brothers and sisters, grace abounds all the more. And that's not just speaking of those outside of Christ. That's speaking of those in Christ. Where your sin increases, God's grace abounds even more. Listen, Jesus died with his eyes open. I want you to know that. He died with his eyes open. He knew who he was dying for. Jesus didn't die with his eyes closed, and all of a sudden he's up in heaven going, didn't know I was dying for that. Didn't know they were that stupid. Didn't know they would keep doing all of those things over and over again. No, he died with his eyes open, knowing exactly who he was dying for. And the beauty of it for us, brothers and sisters, is where our sin increases, his grace overflows. Let me end today with the words of Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Blessed be God for that. Sin may be a river, but grace is an ocean. Sin may be a mountain, but grace is like Noah's flood which prevailed over the tops of the mountains 15 cubits upward. Brothers and sisters, where sin overflowed, grace flooded in. I want to end our time together today by speaking to you here and online. Are you this day, are you in Adam? Are you this very day in Adam? Are you still in your sin? Are you still separated from God? Are you still awaiting eternal separation from God? Or are you in Christ? Are you experiencing life in Christ? Listen, some of us would say, yeah, I'm, I'm in Christ. Sure, yeah, I've done that. But listen, you live like Adam. You live as if you're your own God and you make your own choices and you only ask God to do things when you mess it up. Brothers and sisters, are we in Adam, making ourselves God, choosing our own way, or are we in Christ, surrendering to him? I pray today that today would be a day of salvation. If today you are in Adam, you can be in Christ. If you walked in here as an Adam, you can walk out in Christ, forgiven. Walk out experiencing peace, joy, love, acceptance, knowing who your Savior is. I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to stand and call the musicians forward. Let's just enter into this time of, of consecration in this moment. Father, we approach you in this moment, God, thanking you for your word. Lord, although it's a deep word, God, it's the word we need. It's a word of life and death. For either we are in Adam, awaiting death, or we are in Christ, living in life. Not awaiting life, Lord. We have life now, and life is coming. Lord, I pray today for anyone that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day, Lord, that they turn from the sins of Adam, turn from their own sins, and turn to you, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. Confessing with their mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in their hearts that God, you raised him from the dead. Knowing that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I pray, Lord, for that Christian brother or sister in this room that 
God is struggling. And sometimes Satan convinces us that everyone else has their life in order except for us. I know how Satan lies. Because we are all in this room that know you, oh God, we are saved sinners. I know how we still are prone to wonder. We are still prone to turn to sin. We are still prone to be overwhelmed by it. But God, we thank you for your word that tells us that even us, where our sin increases, your grace increases all the more. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all that we have in you. God, meet us today right where we are. And Lord, don't keep us there. Bring us to where you would have us to be. In Jesus' name.